this idea is a message that I wish was preached to me when I was much earlier in my spiritual development. I'm at a stage and season of life where um, I'm old enough to know some things and have some wisdom and have some experience to give language to things that I've wrestled with and that I've watched other people wrestle with. I've had time to, to give language to things. Um, I'm old enough to do that, but I'm young enough. I'm young enough. I'm young enough to have energy to give this out, right? And so um, a lot of people are operating on overload and a crash is coming. And this series, Room to Maneuver, is meant to cause you to escape the crash. Check out some of these statistics that I looked up in preparing. People now sleep two and a half hours fewer each night than our ancestors did just 100 years ago. You're sleeping two and a half hours less than great-grandma and great-grandpa. And can I just tell you, they got way more done than we did. I mean, they just crushed it. We've got all these, all these accesses to technology and supposed to be making our lives easier, and they're just, they're just flat out work us under the table, y'all. And we're sleeping two and a half hours less, so we're sleeping less, and they were doing more. Um, the average work week is now longer than it was in the 1960s. The average office worker has 36 hours of work piled on his or her desk, either in a physical or digital form. It takes around three hours a week for us to just sort out and find what we need on our desk or computer to do the work that we're trying to do. Okay, wait, let me break that down. We've all spent more time looking for the thing than it, than it took to actually do the thing. Right? No? I'm the only one who's obsessed over where this thing is for 45 minutes and can't find it, and then once I find it, it's done in like 15 seconds? Yeah. Right, yeah, okay, I'm in the right room. We spend eight months of our lives opening junk mail. Eight months. Either junk mail that's physical or digital. I, I, gotta, I just gotta digress on a minute and talk about, I gotta talk about spam email for just a second. Because some mornings I wake up, ladies and gentlemen, and I choose email violence. Anybody else do that? You just, it comes up, unsubscribe, 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 unsubscribe. I don't, need, I don't care what it is. I'm un unsubscribing as fast as I can unsubscribe. And I think they should make it easier to unsubscribe. I don't even know how I got subscribed, and now I have to unsubscribe. Where did I, I know my friends are using my email address for stuff that they know is going to end up spam. I know for a fact they do that. Two years of our lives playing phone tag with people who are busy or who are just not answering. I just need to tell the whole room, there are, there are people that you call and they see your number, they hit decline because it's you, because it's me. Now, let, me just, let me just say this too. I don't leave voicemails. I don't do it. I don't leave voicemails, so if you see a phone number pop up and you think it's me or don't know it's me or you do know it's me, just understand this, I don't leave voicemails. Why? Because I don't like people leaving me voicemails. 
Why don't I like people leaving me voicemails? Because it's a transference of responsibility. I wasn't thinking about you, I didn't need to talk to you, and you called me and left a message saying, I needed to get a hold of you, and I don't need to get a hold of you, you're the one trying to get a hold of me. Okay, let's move on because I know I'm gonna get in trouble. I, because it's my responsibility to get a hold of you. So I'll call or I'll text or I'll spam and say, answer the phone, answer the phone, answer the phone, answer the phone. I don't leave a voicemail. I, I just don't because I, I, I think it's a waste of time. Um, we, we spend five years waiting for people who are trying to do too much and are late for the meetings that we've sent with them. We've piled on and stretched out to the limit and uh, we need to make some changes. Check this quote out from Dr. Swenson who wrote the book called Margin. He describes this idea of room to maneuver or margin this way. The conditions of modern day living devour margin. If you're homeless, we direct you to a shelter. If you're penniless, we offer you food stamps. If you're breathless, we connect you to oxygen. But if you're marginless, we give you one more thing to do. Marginless is being 30 minutes late to the doctor's office because you were 20 minutes late getting out of the hairdresser, because you were 10 minutes late dropping off the children at school, because the car ran out of gas two blocks from the gas station and you forgot your purse. That's marginless. He goes on and says this, margin on the other hand is having breath at the top of the staircase, money at the end of the month and sanity left over at the end of adolescence. Margin is grandma taking the baby for the afternoon, let's go. We're about to be grandparents in a, in a couple months and so we're gonna take that baby for the afternoon. Why, because we're building in margin for the things that matter, right? Margin is having a friend help carry the burden. Marginless is not having time to finish the book you're reading on stress. Margin is having the time to read it twice. Marginless is our culture. Margin is counterculture. Having some space in your life and schedule. Marginless is the disease of our decade and margin is the cure. So where do we find this in the Bible? In Leviticus chapter 23, there's a very interesting text. And here's what it says. On the same day, you are able to proclaim a sacred assembly and do, and do no regular work. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Everybody say generations. generations. That's forever. And wherever you live, that's whomever. Forever and whomever. He's talking about the ordinances of Pentecost and leading up to it. And he's saying... There are some things that I want to give you as principles that will help you function in life. And here's what he says. Now, now, generations to come, that means this is for you right here today. This doesn't have an expiration date. This is one of those principles that we have to learn that is timeless and eternal, right? Now, he's going to begin to use agricultural language, farming language. This is so important because in an industrial age, in an industrial world, we interpret scripture through our industrialization mindset and we miss the core of what the Bible is trying to teach because we think assembly line, conveyor belt, rather than seed time and harvest. Industrial age pulls a lever and stamps out a, pro a product. 
and just produces on the assembly line. Boom, 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 boom. Here's an example of how that will mess you up scripturally. If you think in an industrial age mindset, you'll think that disciples are produced in a manufacturing environment and system. They're not. They're built in an agricultural system and actually they're not produced, they grow. Production is quick, fast, and maybe easy. Agriculture is slow, marinade over time. And so here's what he says in this agricultural mindset. He says this, an ordinance for all generations, for everyone in this room, for everyone watching online, for everyone who will hear the podcast. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges. Don't go all the way to the boundary. Do not reap to the edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. What does this mean? The farmer was given instruction, do not plow all the way to the end of your property. Leave an edge. Let me take it backwards in time. Pieces of paper that you had in school, there was a red line on the left side of that paper with the blue lines horizontally, a red line vertically on the paper as I remember it. What is that red line left of it called? The margin. And what are you not supposed to do in the margin? Not supposed to write. What's it supposed to be? Blank. You don't touch it. This is the, this is the, this is the picture. They tell, they tell, God tells the farmer, don't go all the way to the edge. Leave the corners of your property with crops on it. In fact, we would be able to tell the generosity and the depth of faith that that individual had based on the size of the margin that they left on their land. Don't go all the way to the edge. That's not for you. That's for someone else. Don't write in the margin. This is the principle that we're talking about. Time, emotion, energy, finances, spirituality. We're supposed to have a margin around our life so we're not running up against the edges of what we have. Why? Because that's necessary for others. But here's what we do. We run up against the margin all the time. What is margin? Margin Margin is the amount available beyond what is necessary. It's the space between your capacity and your limit. So taking the farmer's analogy, don't, don't run to the edges. Leave a margin, leave the corners alone. Taking that into our modern day context, what's it look like? Financially, it looks like this. We run out of, we run out of money before we run out of the month. So there's more month than money, no margin. There's too many hours and the hours exceed the energy. So it's no room to maneuver. It's when we have no resources, we've run all the way to the edge and then in some cases, we step over our boundary line and start trying to reap a harvest in land that doesn't belong to us, Visa. MasterCard, American Express, don't leave home without it. 
because you need margin. And we've trained ourselves, those tools are our security blanket. They're our golden umbrella, our golden parachute to keep us safe. And God's saying, no, 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 you've got that wrong. You need to not go all the way to the edges. This is causing you issues. There are six areas of margin that we'll, we'll talk about and around today in the next few weeks. Emotional, financial, relational, spiritual, physical, and our time. Emotional is one that we have to have filled up or we lose it. Any of these, emotional, financial, relational, spiritual, physical, and time, uh, this is what happens. When our margin in these areas are low, our stress is high. When you're half a nostril above water with four kids within 35 and a half months and you've just started a church and you've got no money and, and your kids are getting on your last nerve, just the littlest thing will set you off because margin is low, stress is high. I know nobody in this place has ever experienced anything similar to that in your life. When you've given and given and given, emotionally, relationally, You've given and given and given, and you've got no margin. It's the littlest thing that someone does that gets on your nerves, and you just lose it. The relational aspect is so important because in relationships, we've got to be sowers way more than we are reapers. In other words, think of your relationships as a bank account. Many of us are trying to make a withdrawal from relational ATMs and we haven't made an investment or deposit. So when we go to the relational ATM, it says insufficient funds because you haven't put anything in. How plain can I make it? How frank can I be with you today? Can I be all the way? It, it looks like this. You post on Facebook, I'm moving on Saturday, I need someone to come and help me move. You've got no relational margin, and then you get ticked because nobody responded because you've not made investments into relationships, and you think that you putting it out into the cyberspace is some form of actual communication and actually relationship, and you're deceived. That's nothing, and all the while you're getting angrier and angrier because no one's coming to your aid, and I'm here to help you and tell you you've got no room to maneuver. Get off Facebook and actually go talk to somebody face-to-face. -face. Right. Right. Come on. Like... Actually have a relationship. Because here's what I know. If my world goes bad tomorrow, people will show up on my doorstep and help me. They will come to my rescue. Why? Because I've invested. Because I've made relational deposits. When margin is low, stress is high. I had, when I had a heart attack, I just celebrated I don't know if, is celebrate the right word? I guess being alive is a celebration time, right? So I survived nine years ago on September the 4th. Um, I had a heart attack and I was at home uh, convalescing. <laughs> Stupid word, but it's what was happening. I was recovering. People were showing up at my hospital room. I didn't even get home yet. They're showing up. My wife says, I'm putting a note on the door and making the nurses say, there's only people allowed to come between this time and this time. Because it, like, it was like a parade, like a parade of people. That was, that was really great and helpful in some ways and kind, but at the same time, I was tired and needing to rest. But the point is, those people had no choice but to respond to the relational investment that had been made, and that was their show 
of love and support. And it mattered, and it matters. See, listen, when you've made those deposits, when you've sown those seeds, you will reap a harvest. It's not a question, it's, it happens, it happens. So when margin is low, um, stress is high. Financially is the easiest one. I, I would venture to guess that for all of the married couples, just going out on a limb, your most significant arguments about money was when you had the least amount of it. I, for the life of me, I can't figure out why we're spending so much time arguing over what we don't have. <laughs> like we're just angry about it. And we're missing out on some principles that God has given us. So, let me give you the ways you can create margin up front because I'm gonna run out of time. So you might wanna screenshot these uh, with your phone or, or whatever um, because I won't get to all of them. I don't, I don't know how many I'll get to, but creating room to maneuver means prioritizing your life, stop unnecessary time wasters, schedule downtime and family time, don't say yes to everything, reflect every day and evaluate your schedule often. It was beautiful in between services. A young couple came to me and they said, Josh, we took what you said in, in Warring with the God seriously and last Sunday was our Sabbath and we just totally enjoyed it. I said, what did you do? And they said, we rested, we slept, we did whatever we wanted to do or didn't want to do and that's what we did and it brought so much joy to my heart. Why? Because people were actually evaluating what God's word says and, in, and infusing it into their life. Like the word of God is meant to be applied. It needs to be understood. Then it needs to be applied. And so I'm, I'm hoping that people will take these things to heart and make some real life adjustments. Prioritize your life. What, what does that mean and where is it in scripture? Um, let's start there, priorities. If you go back to Warring with the Gods, I preached a message called Kingdom Priorities and laid out the reasons for priorities and how you can see them in scripture and how to arrive at them. But this verse says, in Matthew 6, 33, but seek, what's that next word? But seek, first. not second, not last, not later, not after. Seek first. I want you to know that the people who walk in the kingdom blessings that are promised operate by kingdom principles. And the people who seek things at the kingdom of God after they've sought their needs and their priorities, don't qualify for the kingdom benefits. It's those who seek the kingdom first and his righteousness, and all of these things then will be added to you. That's the issue. We're chasing all of the things first, and after, if there's anything left, we give it to God. We're mowing all the way to the edges. We're reaping all the way to the edge, all the way to the boundary line, and then we're like, well, if we have anything left over to give to God or to the church or to, to serving, we've got our priorities wrong, that every breath in our body, every time we breathe in, is the reminder that God has put us on this earth to make a difference for those around us, and that's going to require an effective use of our time, and he says, here's how you do it. Seek first the kingdom of God. This isn't a preacher verse. This isn't a priority for pastors. This is a verse that tells every believer who wants to live with a kingdom mindset how to function. So first things first. So success in life is the effective use of time. When we stand before the, the, the Lord at the end of our life, I believe with all of my heart he's gonna ask you very early on in the conversation to give an account for how you spent your time. He's not gonna ask you what your net worth was. 
He's not gonna ask you what was in your 401k. He's not gonna ask you how many followers did you have on Instagram. He's not gonna ask you anything about what we did here except for how did we effectively use the time that we were given. And some of us are going to hang our head in disappointment and shame at that day because we know we haven't used our time effectively. But here's the good news, you're not dead. You can make a change and you can from this day on say, oh wait a minute, I'm gonna lean in and effectively use my time because that is what God is going to label as success. One of the most, one of the most discouraging things, one of the most painful things I think is watching people be successful in the wrong assignment. Using their time and getting levels of success in the wrong things. That's not success, that's failure. Number two, time is the true measure of life. Time is the currency of life. How we spend our time determines the quality of our life and our death. Lastly, everything and everyone is after your time. In other words, you might wanna write this down, you are what you exchange your time for. Whatever you give you time for, that's what you are back. So many in the room today, you don't have room to maneuver. I wanna spend more time with God, but you've mowed all the way to the edge, and it's after. I'm gonna be, be as plain as I can, all right, because this move stands between you and kingdom principles and experiencing all that God has for your life. That if you fit him in after, listen, if you try to wait and tithe after everything's paid, you'll never do it because this is a seek first principle, not a seek later or after principle. It's a faith statement. And every time you seek later or after, you are stepping into the realm of doubt and unbelief, and God can only do so much when you're in that realm because he needs you in a place of faith. And first is a faith move. It is God is going to take care of me, so I do this first, and everything else will figure itself out. The key, the key to effective use of time is correct priorities. I'm gonna close with this because I'm out of time. The key to effective use of time is correct priorities. That means knowing who you are, how you're wired, what your assignment is. This is not a small task. This is a big thing. That's why growth steps during Wednesday nights is gonna be so important. If you don't wanna do it on Wednesday nights, you can do it um, on demand. As soon as you're ready, it'll show you your gifts and begin to sort out your priorities and how God sees you. This matters. If God is going to be at the center, then this matters. It really does. Let me use myself as a, as a personal example so I can, so I can get real, um, real direct because it's me. Um, a few months ago, I was um, at a leadership institute doing some continuing education. I think it's important to invest in yourself. Um, and a part, of the, a part of the training was a question that I had to reflect on, and here was the question. Uh, um, of all of the gifts that you have, which makes an assumption that I have gifts, and you do, because the Bible says so. You've been given gifts. For his glory, not yours. So of all the gifts that you have, narrow down to one gift that is most effective as you serve the people around you. 
So what's the most important gift that you have to the people that you serve? And get it into one word. One word. And so everyone may have different answers. But I, I thought, me personally have a gift. What is the best gift that I have? What, like, what skill do I have that serves people the best? So I got it down into one word, and I used the word thinker. Of all the gifts that I have, I think, did I think well? I'm a good thinker. So that's the word I landed on. Then I ran it by um, Angie, Larry, and Daniel, and they disagreed with me, which made me a little insecure. I was like, no, thinking is not your best thing, Josh. I, I kind of felt personal for a second. <laughs> I'm gonna go someplace, just hang with me, okay? I said, well, what is it? And the three of them said, communicator. So a lot of people are shaking their head yes, right? Okay, I might have trapped you, but for me, I can't be an effective communicator unless I first thought about what I'm going to say because I'm not like winging it up here. Like, they, like the, word, the words don't just always come naturally. It doesn't matter what you land on. The point is doing the hard work of finding the key to effective use of time is the right priority. And if you don't know what you have that best serves humanity, you'll, you'll constantly be up against the, the margin frustration of setting your priority. Am I, am I talking to you? Are you with me? Are you thinking with me? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Like if you don't know that, then you won't know how to prioritize. And so thinking through that, and all of them take time. Seek first. I wanna challenge you to seek first the kingdom of God and let your priorities match that. Say yes to serving in an area and stay committed to that. Because so often we say yes to a whole bunch of other things that watch, they're not they're not kingdom-seeking items. Are they bad? No. But I, I, need, to, I need to read something to you. Before, before we say goodbye to our online audience, I need to read something to you that I wrote down. If you don't have a journal, I think you should, I think you should have one. And, um, and this was a gift to me um, by a, a pastor friend named Justin. I have one for my daughter, but I filled it up and haven't put new paper in it. Uh, but this one's getting about halfway full. And Here's what I wrote down in between services. When you're overloaded by activity, you can only think about yourself. You're in survival mode. You have no room to maneuver. You're just trying to get through another day. You're not available to God for him, which is where you'll make the biggest difference. In fact, when you have no room to maneuver and you have no margin, when God taps you on the shoulder and says, I'd like for you to do this, when you have no margin, that tap on the shoulder is a nuisance rather than a blessing. Like, oh God, again? The same person who's been praying, God use me, God use me, God use me, then they get tapped on the shoulder and they're like, God, I feel like you're using me. What? here's what happens. 
you end up resenting God opportunities. And you fall for good opportunities and miss the God opportunities. But here's the good news. When you apply this principle and get the right priority, overload doesn't crush you. Because all the things aren't just things and stuff. It's energy. It's resources. It's room to breathe. It's room to maneuver. It's room to make a difference. All the things that you have in your heart that you want to do are hidden and locked up in this. Don't, don't reap all the way to the edges and seek first God's kingdom. When you seek God's kingdom first, all the other stuff is added. All, the, all of it. All of it. All of it. Why? Because he's a good king. He's a good God who takes care of his citizens. Like that's what he does.